You're listening to the N2K Space Network. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Yesterday, we had some encouraging news in the space sector coming out of India. And today, we're seeing some more bright numbers coming out of the European space sector. And while there is, of course, a very justified amount of attention on what's happening in space in the United States and in China, it bears repeating that space is increasingly global, and a lot of big moves are happening outside of the usual suspects. Today is January 11th, 2024. I'm Maria Varmazis, and this is T-Minus. Deorbit raises over $100 million, and Satellia raises 6 million euros. ESA launches an environment monitoring platform. AX3 is ready for launch. And our guest today is meteorologist Meredith Garofalo, on her involvement in space communications and hosting events for Foundation for the Future. So stay with us for the second half of the show. Here's our Intel briefing for today. Let's raise a glass of Prosecco to in-space logistics services company Deorbit of Italy. They announced today that they raised 100 million euros in a Series C funding round, led by Marubeni of Japan. This new funding follows triple-digit year-over-year revenue growth at Deorbit since 2021 and will help the company to boost their space logistics offerings, including space debris cleanup capabilities and in-orbit satellite servicing. In their press release, Deorbit also mentioned that this funding round will help them expand their operational capabilities across the U.S., Europe, and the U.K. And Spain-based Satelliot has secured 6 million euros in new funding from Banco Santander. Satelliot is launching the first constellation of low-Earth orbit nanosatellites, providing 5G coverage for Internet of Things, or IoT. With this new capital, Satelliot aims to accelerate the development of its technology and the deployment of its satellite constellation. The company says it is poised for significant growth with the launch of four new satellites in 2024, marking the beginning of its commercial phase. The European Space Agency's Director General, 
Josef Oschbacher shared this year's key milestones for European space from ESA headquarters in Paris. Oschbacher says Europe will regain its autonomous access to space this year with the inaugural flight of the heavy-lift launcher Ariane 6 from Europe's spaceport in French Guiana. He says we also should accept to hear more about HERA, the planetary defense mission which will be launched at the end of 2024, and EarthCare, ESA's Earth observation mission studying the role that clouds and aerosols play in reflecting solar radiation. And staying with ESA, a project to fight environmental crime and monitor illegal activities is now fully operational. EO4 Security is dedicated to developing algorithms and application platforms designed to provide tools capable of delivering timely geoinformation on non-compliance with environmental regulations, such as illegal mining and irregular trafficking. EGEOS, which is a joint venture between ASI and Telespazio, and part of Leonardo Group, and the primary contractor on the project, announced that the project had gone live on January 9th. You can read more about it in the Via Satellite article that we've linked in our show notes. Axiom Space held a press conference today with the four European astronauts that are part of the AX-3 crew planned for launch next Wednesday. Axiom Space has successfully completed its internal flight readiness review for the mission, moving the crew one step closer to their January 17th launch. The review evaluated company and crew readiness in support of the first all-European commercial astronaut mission to the International Space Station. The crew say that they are all very excited with the Turkish crewmate Alper Gezeravşa talking about how proud he is to be the first to fly to space from Turkey. China has started building its own satellite internet constellation using low Earth orbit, with plans of launching some 26,000 satellites to cover the entire world, led by state-run companies. The construction of a commercial spacecraft launch for China's version of Starlink is underway near the Wenchang Space Launch Site in the southern province of Hainan. China's satellite network will launch about 1,300 satellites, or 10% of the planned number, starting in the first half of 2024 through 2029, according to Chinese media. This is hoped to pave the way for liftoff by 2035 to establish a network supporting high-speed 6G communications. And the latest update from Astrobotic on its Peregrine Lunar Lander is positive. The teams say that they have been able to gather payload data, receiving data from all nine payloads designed to communicate with the lander. All 10 payloads requiring power now have received it, while the remaining 10 payloads aboard the spacecraft are passive. These payloads have now been able to prove operational capability in space, and payload teams are analyzing the impact of this development. NASA's Space Communications and Navigation, also known as SCAN, program, has funded the successful development of a new piece of laser technology. Through a small business collaboration, FiberTech has developed the Base Station Optical Laser Terminal, a four-channel laser unit that could enable the transmission of high-power communications to the moon during the Artemis II flight test. Known as the Orion Artemis II Optical Communication System, the Artemis II demonstration will use laser communications to transmit high-resolution images and video of the lunar region to two ground stations. That demonstration will fly with the crew no earlier than September 2025. And staying with the U.S. Space Agency, NASA have selected a crew of four volunteers to participate in a simulated journey to Mars inside a habitat at NASA's Johnson Space Center in Houston. 
The crew will enter the ground-based Human Exploration Research Analog Facility, also known as HERA, on January 26th to live and work like astronauts for 45 days during the simulated mission to the Red Planet. Crew members will then exit the facility on March 11th after they return to Earth. Two additional volunteers are available as backup crew members. And SpaceX has successfully demonstrated the first text message sent via Starlink satellites using T-Mobile's network. Direct-to-cell satellites were launched to low-Earth orbit last week by a SpaceX Falcon 9. The company said it performed the texting demonstration on Monday and declared that the test validates that the system works. That concludes our Intel briefing for today. Please check out the selected reading section in our show notes to find further reading on all of the stories that we've mentioned today. We also like to add a few extra stories in there for you as well. And today we have an opinion piece on preventing conflict in space and a follow-up on the payloads on the ULA launch and a blog on enabling a circular economy in space by 2050. AT-Minus crew, if your business is looking to grow your voice in the industry, expand the reach of your thought leadership or recruit talent, T-Minus can help. We'd like to hear from you. Send us an email at space at n2k.com or send us a note through our website so we can connect about building a program to meet your goals. And it is International Thank You Day today, so thank you all for being part of our crew. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. My guest today is meteorologist Meredith Garofalo. I wanted to know more about Meredith's background and how she got involved in space communications. If you know me in the space business, you might have heard me referred to as Rocket Girl. Um, I am a award-winning broadcast meteorologist uh, and space and science correspondent. So what that means is my degree is in meteorology. I have a bachelor of science. I've been forecasting the weather for the local and national news for the last 15 years of my career. And I'm also a reporter and a journalist. And so I've done stories on big space events, big science events. I've interviewed some of the heads of the space and the science communities. I've covered rocket launches. I've done a lot of really good stories on our satellite programs to help people better understand uh, what's going on 
because a lot of people really don't know what's going on with the space program. And you just think rocket launches, you think a lot about astronauts, but there's so much more. There's experiments going on in space. We're working on building space colonies. And so I've really dedicated my career to transition from just being a meteorologist and doing the weather to also being a great storyteller and a communicator and using my on-air uh, background is a privilege to, you know, help get these really important stories out there. I'm so glad you've done that because the need is so great. We need storytellers, talented storytellers like yourself doing that work. So you have that meteorology background and meteorology on its own is a fascinating science, but combining meteorology and space is like extra cool. <laughs> so <laughs> can you tell me a little bit about that combination? The two of them together are just so neat. Can you tell me a little bit about that? I think what's really cool is I went into this field. I was three when I decided I wanted to be a meteorologist. My mom survived a tornado outbreak. And so here's little Meredith, like, oh my gosh, I want to save lives. I want to help warn people. And I was always the non-shy kid, like family videos, front and center, singing and dancing. So I knew I had that presence where I could go on TV and be comfortable and get in front of big crowds. So the more and more I got into my career, um, I enjoyed reporting a lot. And then I covered a story in 2017 on how our weather satellites, our new generation of the GOES satellite program was going into space. And not a lot of people were talking about it. And I don't think a lot of people realize that now we rely on this data, not just like Doppler radar when we show it to you and we're covering a tornado warning, but we need the, the big picture stuff from these satellites to help show what's going on above so we can work with what we have, as we call now casting, going on right now close to home, but seeing the overall big picture and when these storms are moving in, we can help make the decisions and, and guide people like first responders to make the right decisions to help save lives. And so I did a story on it and something almost like the space bug exploded inside of me and I just wanted to learn more about other things in space. So I started doing more stories with NASA and I started talking to stories with NOAA in the Space Weather Prediction Center to talk about how solar storms impact us here on Earth. And then I just started to get more and more well-known as this on-camera meteorologist that can communicate science, but also can communicate space in a way that people can understand and your five-year-old can understand what I'm saying, as well as your 90-year-old grandmother. So I found it is kind of my niche and my new direction to take my career. And so since 2017, I've just seriously dedicated my uh, my time to going and speaking. I'm, I'm also a big um, moderator and panelist for a lot of the big space conferences now because people are trusting me with my science background and my storytelling ability to come into the space community and say, hey, you know, I'm a public figure, I'm a TV personality, but I love space too and I want to help out in any way that I can. I love that you said that. And when I speak to expert communicators like yourself, I would love to know your perspective on why has space had such a hard time communicating to the broader public about why it's so crucial and important. What's been missing there? We need to focus on more than just the rocket launches, just SpaceX did this or NASA did that. We need to start telling stories like we tell stories on the news that these scientists are in space and they're working on a cure for cancer. So somebody at home, like I lost my father to cancer in 2022. I can Sorry feel that me. connection. Oh, thank you. But I can feel that connection because it's something that's real. It's not sci-fi. It's not watching a movie. And I get it. We like to watch movies. We like to read books. Fantasy is fun. 
But at the same time, a lot of it is starting to turn into reality and we need to make sure we're getting the right facts out there. And sometimes I feel like the only thing that's getting pushed in front of public and the news is stuff that's going to grab headlines or stuff that's going to be like, oh my gosh, you know, and dramatic and all this stuff. But we need to stick to the facts, just like a good journalist knows how to tell a good story using the facts and telling both sides. I think we need that same approach to storytelling, whether it's private sector or whether it's coming from the government. Mm, That's such a great point. I'm curious to get your perspective also on when speaking to the greater public about what we, I guess, in the space bubble, so to speak, would consider, oh, great learning from maybe a mission that didn't go the way we thought it would. If something just went a little sideways or it didn't hit its goals. A lot of times we'll hear how that's covered more mainstream as it's a total failure. And then the public opinion will be, well, why are we spending this money? Which is becomes a compounding issue. Any thoughts on how we can do better to talk about those things and maybe different ways we should be covering that? Well, you need the right people in these jobs that are going to stand up and say, you're not telling that story right. I mean, you need people that if you're going to be the lead space correspondent for a network, that person has a responsibility to make sure they're doing everything they can to tell both sides and not get into the political bubble or the popularity bubble. And I run into that problem where I've had to go to a news director and say, this is a great story. And yes, it's a national story, but it impacts our viewers close to home. And they'll be like, eh, did something explode? Is something major happening? Is it first of something? No, it's not. We're going to move on. It's like, we need to get away from that mentality. And we need the communicators also in these companies, you know, like I said, whether it's the government, whether it's the private sector, you know, these companies need people like myself to come in there as communicators and say, how can we take this story and tell everything that we can to get out the correct information, but also to captivate the public to want to know more? And I think we need to remember we're all humans. Just like think about when we're babies and we're trying to walk and we fall down and we're crying and screaming. And our mom didn't just say, oh, it's a failure. My kid's never going to walk, right? They stand us back up. (laughs) Can you imagine? They give us a sucker. I know, right? We'd all be still sitting on the ground crying and eating suckers. But I mean, it's just, it's common sense. And I think sometimes we just forget the basics. And sometimes we just need to not be afraid to have a voice and an opinion. And not in a way where we have an opinion where it's, you listen to me, it's this way or that way. It's, hey, here's the facts. And you can decide what you want from what I'm giving you, but I'm going to make sure to give you the most factual information. But you have to remember at the end of the day, we're still learning. And if we look back in history, just like the industrial era, look where we're at now because of all the failures and all the things we had to go through then. This is just another chapter of history and we're writing it. So we need to be excited about that. What an amazing call to action. I just kind of want to let that for me sink in because that's such a great, what a wonderful message. Thank you for that. Um, I wanted to switch topics and talk about your upcoming event. And I wanted to give you an opportunity to tell our audience more about that because it sounds really cool. Well, not a lot of people know about this. And this is so cool, whether you are in the space community or you're a space enthusiast, there's an organization, it's a nonprofit called Foundation for the Future. And they are working to bring all different types of space companies, whether it's, like I said, the public sector, the private sector, the government, and bring a lot of these topics that are everyday topics that we have here on Earth, but about topics in space, such as investing or lunar habitats or research in space, and bring experts from the field together to help get those facts out there and present this, and also get legislation passed in Congress and things brought to the public's attention. So what they started was an event called Conversations for the Future. And a few years back, I was invited as a guest speaker. They did a whole media panel. But it was cool because it was 
almost like a live podcast for a few hours. Like this is coming after the era of COVID. So people were coming together. They were watching a two-hour event where you'd have speakers every half an hour come in and it's free, which is the best part. Well, over the years, um, we started to get a lot more interest and me being my background in hosting, I was asked to become one of their regular hosts. Think of a show like The View, but we're not going to be crazy like The View and all that drama, but it's like going to be four space-minded people from different backgrounds sitting down together and hosting a conversation that people can join for free from all over the world about topics every month, such as this month, we're doing the wrong stuff, things that you need to know to have to go fact from fiction. So we're going to talk about things such as, you know, well, people are talking about this, but really that's not what should be presented. Here are the facts. Or we're going to have fun things like surprise guests, some big space names, whether it's maybe celebrities coming on our show. It's going to be something that's for everybody, but also to show that space is for everybody. Meredith, where can people find out more about your upcoming appearance on the show? It sounds great. If you go to anything with Foundation for the Future, you can sign up. It's free. And the nice thing is, you know, if you want to just come for a little bit, you want to come for the whole hour. Um, and I can also give you the website, which has all the different speaker bios. So you can learn more about us. You can kind of more, learn more about the mission. And uh, like we're, we're calling it our liftoff, you know, like come to the launch pad and join us for this big liftoff for 2024. And we do have links to the event that Meredith mentioned in our show notes. Definitely go check it out. We'll be right back. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and Zero Trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their SASE journey, visit netskope.com. Welcome back. If you, like me, see the glaring need for more robust, more effective, and more creative science communications to the general public, well, then this item may be of interest to you. Science comics, from social media comics posts to graphic novels, are a big part of a contemporary effort to explain science concepts in a way that's really appealing to a broad audience. And Professor Caroline Hu at the Massachusetts College of Art and Design who also has a PhD in biology from Stanford University, I should note, is heading up a science communication and comics course this semester at MassArt. And Professor Hu is looking for scientist collaborators that she can pair up with her artist students. So basically you, the scientist, just need to serve as a subject matter expert in your field, and a science comics artist will work with you to turn your idea into a four-page educational comic. That sounds super cool if you ask me. There's a link in our show notes if you're interested in learning more about this collab. And the deadline to sign up is February 1st. 
grad students, postdocs, faculty, and staff actively engaged in scientific research in any and all scientific fields are welcome to join in. And I happen to know Professor Who personally, and the scuttlebutt is that astro and aerosciences are very underrepresented in the respondents that she's received so far. So don't be shy, T-minus didacts. <laughs> February 1st is your deadline. Get to it. That's it for T-minus for January 11th, 2024. For additional resources from today's report, check out our show notes at space.n2k.com. We're privileged that N2K and podcasts like T-Minus are part of the daily routine of many of the most influential leaders and operators in the public and private sector. From the Fortune 500 to many of the world's preeminent intelligence and law enforcement agencies. This episode was produced by Alice Carruth. Mixing by Elliot Peltzman and Trey Hester. With original music and sound design by Elliot Peltzman. Our executive producer is Jen Iben. Our VP is Brandon Karp. And I'm Maria Varmazis. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. And now a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals. Confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. Sixth Sense.